Hello and welcome to Hardcore Catholic. This is the first, hopefully, many interviews where I'll showcase important individuals and topics that exemplify what it means to live the Catholic faith in our important times on YouTube and also other podcast outlets where I'll disseminate this as well in the near future. My first guest is Vince Sagala, who I'm extremely grateful and honored to have been able to spend time with on recording and even off recording. Vince's story was famously showcased, uh, one of many people's testimonies uh, in the book, The Warning, Testimonies and Prophecies of the Illumination of Conscience by Christine Watkins. I highly recommend reading that book. I will link that in the show notes and descriptions as well so people can get a hold of that and read it. And I can only speak personally. I felt his was one of, if not the most striking testimonies that I read uh, of someone who's living who experienced an illumination of conscience. Not just that particular event, but he had a lot of other experiences he gets into in the book as well as uh, on his own channels and outlets as well. And he gets into it in this recording as well. Uh, Like I said before, Vince was very generous with his time off recording, even on recording. Uh, which made it very obvious of his sincerity of his message and really love just genuine love for spreading god's word with anybody and everybody Uh, vince has a profound deep spiritual knowledge that i really believe only comes through with living in tune with communication with the holy spirit Uh, and in this interview we get into a lot of topics such as vince's own testimony his story to his own spiritual growth uh, to the warning obviously we get into that a little bit some examples some specifics about that Uh, he gives some uh, practical advice on growing in the faith uh, and just a lot of a lot of really stressing the importance of praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day. Uh, Vince has a lot of information to unpack in this interview. Uh, he's just a wealth of information, so I did my best to not to minimally edit this. That's uh, the kind of the given length, but we could have talked for hours and hours. I know I'll be talking to him in the, in the future as well for advice and counsel. And again, I will link all of Vince's information down below, and I highly recommend you read the book and also follow Vince on his YouTube channel, which is just his name, Vince Sagala. Um, and without further ado, I'll get into it. Uh, I think a lot of people probably know you from the book, The Warning, I would say. I know you know you have a history, and you'll get to probably get into that. You've had a history already in the church, doing a lot of service in the church and a lot of active ministry already, and I'm sure you have a lot more to do in the future. Um, but I kind of first heard of you from the book, which me and you spoke earlier uh, for a while, and you graciously, again, thank you for the time now, and you graciously gave me your time before, which I was gave me a lot of information. I always said, great teacher, um, very caring and uh, of your time and everything else so i didn't i knew some people from this book i didn't know you so i think when i got to you in this book i don't know if it was maybe your story personally resonated with me just as a as a male we kind of probably i think you had it more extreme than i did but definitely had like that was me when i was reading that um so i resonated with that and underlined so much and even when i went back before talking to you just there's so much stuff that i think i must have read this ex- really excited and i underlined stuff that I missed it because I think I was just reading it so fast because I wanted to just get into it. Um, yeah. I've already sent you some questions and I got probably tons of other questions, but I thought it would be good. And I know it's already covered in the book and I know you have you have it on your YouTube channel, the kind of the testimony as well, but I thought it might be good again, just to kind of rehash whatever you're comfortable with, whatever more or less you want to go over, just kind of your experiences, what your background, and then also what kind of the profound things that happened to you and what your mission you think is. Well, um, I was, I was born in Salinas, California. Um, I, I had real good memories as a kid, you know, with my mom and dad. And, um, I don't know if I, I still can't remember where like things went bad. I just know they did. So it may have happened like, you know, in a, in a, in a slow, it may have been a process or it may just have been something that, you know, I subconsciously blacked out, but my, um, my father got involved in, you know, with some bad people involved in drugs and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of violence 
you know, um, when my dad was drinking and that kind of thing, um, which kind of poured over into my life later on, you know, that was the example that I had. So, um, you know, we, my brother and I, we basically grew up on the streets in Salinas, you know, and learned to take care of ourselves at a real young age while my mom worked two jobs. Um, we had some babysitters that, you know, did some things to me that really affected my life later on, as far as my view on, on sexuality and love and, and what all that was supposed to be. And it, you know, it affected, I think it affected my self-esteem as well. And it, you know, it, 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 uh, it just added to the anger that was there, you know, after my dad had gone to prison. And so, um, my mother moved me from a public school into a private school in fourth grade. And I, I didn't want to go. Um, but you know, it was one of the best decisions she ever made. And, um, I got involved in a youth group there that, and, and that's where, excuse me, that's where I really kind of came into a relationship with the Lord. And I, I'd always been interested in scripture ever since, you know, way before that, since I was little, I used to love looking at the Bible and the pictures and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I had an experience when I was very young, um, when my mother took me to mass on a, on a Christmas and, um, and I knew then, and I was, it's odd how it works. It's like, I, I remember it happening, but it wasn't something that was at the forefront of my mind as a child. It was just kind of there. And I never spoke to anybody about it. Um, now, as was, a matter of fact, was that, experience, that? was that experience pretty in the book? It's, was it a pretty vivid experience? It wasn't something that maybe like you kind of, it was a pretty vivid. Oh no, it was real. Yeah, it was, de it was definitely real, you know? And so, um, you know, I like I say, I remembered it, but I never shared it with anyone. Christine, I think, was the first one I ever told. And um, I don't know why, you know, it just never really dawned on me or never really came to mind to bring up. Um, but, uh, you know, I came into a relationship with the Lord in that youth group, and there was some very strong uh, Catholics that were uh, familiar with charismatic gifts and things of that nature. And so... Uh, I, I had called a, um, one of the youth directors for some advice and she kind of directed me to the scriptures, which I don't know, God's always drawn me back. He always takes me back to the Bible. You know, that's where it's at. And, um, you know, I, I received a, a very powerful, um, how do I say scripture passage that, and it, it just penetrated my soul. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was, it just penetrated me, you know, as it was if God was speaking directly to me. And, um, and it scared me a little bit, you know, that, that, you know, what he was making known, what he, he wasn't real happy with the way I was living my life. And, um, needless to say, I was just a kid, you know, I was, I was just kind of having fun and getting in trouble and that kind of thing. Um, but it had a profound effect. And, and I went to school the next day, um, completely converted just you know i remember preaching to my friends i lost to all my friends really you know i i could be overbearing i guess how long um, was that from the experience you had until <coughs> finding the scripture reading and, and if you can quickly tell me again review everybody what that what that vision was that you saw that, that incident with the when i was real young yeah okay so it was, uh, kind of, yeah. it was a big period i see what you're saying yeah i was yeah i was a huge period because it was i was probably in second or third grade maybe when I had the experience of the priest. It was just a, I just saw glory behind him. It's the only word I know how to say it. Um, right. Light is kind of what you're saying. It's uh, 
it's <laughs> it's hard to describe. I mean, you would you would call it light, but it's not really light like we know light. It's um, it's glory. It's a manifestation of um, of the spirit, you know. And and so they're it's hard to put into words because they don't they don't exist okay. Okay. in the human vocabulary. Um, I would you know if you if you could take water and make it solid, and then on top of that kind of um, how do I say, uh, give it life, okay? And every, every so, it, so it's clear and translucent and it, it flows like water, but it has, it comes out like in beams of that light would. It's extremely hard to just. But it was pretty much, you saw the, you saw the priest. Describe. You saw, like you essentially saw the priest and there would be, the, there was a, an aura kind of behind him. Or it something. was behind him. Yeah, it was coming directly from the back of his head. I saw it clearly. And, you, um, and not to dawn on that, I can not to dawn on this too long, but um, what do you think that was with the priest? Was it something about him particularly or something that just as you could? Well, I never, I, never, I never really knew Father O'Halloran personally. I never spent any personal time with him. But um, I mean, from what I could tell, he was a very friendly priest. You know, he seemed to be a holy priest to me. I mean, as a little kid. Um, but I, I think God was just revealing something to me about his church and the priesthood and the power of the, of the priesthood. You know, um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, being the age that I am now and the experience that I have now and just the experience that I have with, um, you know, with the, with the priests that I do, I think so many of them really, uh, how do I, I don't want to say doubt, but it's almost, it's almost as if they, they don't really, understand the power that they've been given you know and if they did i think the world would be converted tomorrow you know so um it may it may be just an attack type of thing on um and no sense of supernatural yeah and i i maybe it just has to do with everybody i mean jesus said in himself right if we had the faith of a mustard seed the things we could do and so it really tells you how much faith we actually have yeah. you know um I, I haven't seen any mountains or trees flying around lately so um you know, or being thrown into the ocean. But um, yeah, to kind of fast forward, I, I was, I think it was in the seventh grade that uh, <laughs> I heard about um, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that came to, uh, that came to me through a, a charismatic prayer group that I started attending with some older people. And um, some of them were adults, some of them were young adults, but there was, there was a lot of charisms in that group. And, um, and so I had talked to the same person that, uh, you know, that I called for the advice about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And she kind of explained to me what it was. And so um, we made a, a time. I said, well, this is something that, you know, I'd like to, uh, I would like, you know, uh, to have that anointing. And um, I, uh, we made a time to do it. I, I remember I went to confession. I did a general confession with the priest, I think the Friday before, and I think it was a Saturday night, probably Friday or Saturday night. We went out to her house and, and that's where she had the youth group. You know, at the time there was no one in the school that was willing to, to take on the youth group. So uh, this lady, you know, kids were always her thing and it still is, you know, her story is amazing in and of itself. Um, 
but I, I went out there and there were a number of people that belonged to that prayer group along with a couple of other people that were older that, you know, and they, and they just, they laid, they all laid hands on me. They started praying in tongues and, um, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I, that was probably one of the most profound experiences I ever had of God. I know that sounds kind of odd after reading the book, but um, it was such a personal touch of just pure love. And, um, you know, it's something you don't forget, you know, so uh, I'm a pretty conservative Catholic, but I'm also very, very open to the charisms. Right. That's awesome. And uh, so from there, I started, I started giving talks at retreats and things like that. And, um, you know, and then I, I was introduced to suffering and I didn't understand it. I didn't have the spiritual direction I needed at the time. And um, there was an incident. I went to a priest for help, kind of took me under his wing, but there was an incident that happened with him that, um, you know, that's really where I started to go over the cliff. You know, I went into my freshman year feel like, feeling like I was holding on to my faith by a thread, wow. you know, and I, I'd already had so many disappointments in, in life. It, you know, I couldn't, I was having such experiences of God at such a young age. I didn't really, I didn't understand them and I didn't have the spiritual direction that I needed. And, um, you know, so, uh, needless to say, I went into an all boys Catholic school, <laughs> you know, um, was, you know, picked on and that kind of thing, being the new guy there. So my, you know, my only release was really playing football and that kind of thing. And I grew up on the street. I did freestyle wrestling, you know, and street fighting was something that, that I was used to, you know, and I didn't, I, I don't like confrontation. I don't like to fight. Um, you know, the majority of the fights that I got into when I was younger was really trying to protect other people. And, um, but it was violent. And the reason it was violent was, and I didn't, it took me years to realize this, but the reason was, is because every person that stood in front of me in, in that, uh, in those situations became my father. So all that anger, all that hatred, all that rage was focused and, and it was, um, it was dangerous, you know? And I mean, I have, I have a temper anyway, you know? So, um, um, you know, it takes a long time to get there. So, I'm, you know, it's like anything, you know, I'm, I'm kind of learning how to, how, how to not let things build up. It's like I say, I don't like confrontation, you know, so I tend to um, uh, you just take and take and take and take and take. And then, you know, so like, but like anybody else, I'm not different than anyone else, you know, I'm learning the same way. Was a know, lot so. of that, was a lot of that uh, anger you had, was that mostly from, it was a combination of things or predominantly your father, I mean, when it's the baby <laughs> or the priest, was it kind of the, was that called? I think I, the majority of it was my dad. I know that for sure. And, and everything else on top of that, um, uh, you know, that it was a combination of everything, but the root of it was my dad. Okay. No doubt, no doubt in my mind about it, you know, because I mean, he was everything to me. Yeah. You know? as a kid, just like any other little, little guy, you know, dad's the hero type of thing. So, um, so I went into my sophomore year. Uh, I got, I got kicked out of the private school, went into a, a, the public school and, um, you know, there were people that I knew, um, but the, you know, but at that point, the, you know, the, the, the experiences and, you know, it was almost, it was almost like I just stopped caring about anything and anyone, you know, is really just so it became focused on me. It just, that's where, that's what caused the fall. The anger um, and the, and the, and the pain, okay, 
the, the, uh, the brokenness, instead of reaching out to people that I knew could help me to heal that, I, I decided to go another way. And, um, and that was the way that was comfortable for me. That way I didn't have to face the pain. I didn't have to face the brokenness. I didn't have to deal with, um, you know, the things in my life that I hadn't dealt with. It was easier for me to just take, take control of my own life. And I'm in control now. And, you know, that was, that was my mindset was that, you know, I can't rely on anybody. My mother was always there, um, always there. And, um, but the way I looked at it was, you know, I was, I was just going to, the world had done nothing but hurt me. So I was going to try and hurt the world back as much as I could mm -hmm. and have fun doing it. And, and so, you know, eight years, you know, all the way through high school and then into my twenties, you know, it's, uh, I, I ended up in some really, really dark places, some really bad places. I mean, there's a number of times where I probably should have been dead or gone to prison. And this um, was 80s-ish or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, heavy metal, rock and roll, long hair, the whole thing. Yeah, you were like the prime of the 80s, basically, where that was kind of happening. Yeah, that was. Yep. Yeah, it was a wild time, you know. It's, yeah. it's gotten worse now, you know. I mean, I, I kind of thank God it happened in the 80s and not, you know, nowadays, I don't, I don't think I would have survived, <laughs> you know, it just, um, it just, it, looking back on it, you know, you, I can see where I, I opened certain doors that I didn't realize where they were leading at the time, you know, so it's, uh, you know, you're at a party, you have, you know, too much to drink or whatever, and, you know, people are doing coke and, you know, you know, they, uh, they offer you a line. You say, you, you don't do it. Yeah, come on, try it, try it. You try it one time and, you know, and, and that leads to, you know, worse things. And so, like I say, I've been in some pretty dark places. You know, I've, I've had guns put right at my head. And, um, you know, you talk about a scary feeling, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, you, you freeze in those moments, you know. So thank God, you know, nothing, nothing ever happened. Uh, you know, concerning those. Someone like you that had those previous experiences, what's, I guess, if it was me, because I, I can understand where I had the same kind of, you know, you go through like a crazy time, but at the same time I thought I was religious, but I didn't have any actual concrete things. So back in my head, I always think, well, if I'm doing bad stuff, God kind of seems like this theoretical thing that I'm, I'm a good person, whatever, I can still do whatever I want. But on one hand, was it any different for you knowing that you kind of knew you kind of had some proof to you not that ever we should be kind of living by faith but you had some hard truth did that affect anything of your actions or did you kind of push no that? yeah i can i can tell you there were a number of times where i found myself walking home and um you know from you know a house or somewhere it was it was, it was a long walk it wasn't no short thing you know and um and i and i would think about that to myself you know and there were a number of times where i walked i, I walked all the way home in tears and because I did remember and, and I couldn't figure out where God was. I couldn't, you know, for the life of me, um, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out not only how I ended up where I ended up, why I was doing what I was doing, but I felt like I was screaming and there was no one that could hear me from the inside. And so all the, all the actions, everything that I was doing, you know, the, you know, going out and drinking, getting in fights, the girls, all that stuff were cries for help. Mm -hmm. 
and and so you know it's it's kind of helped me later on in life you know like now in ministry that i do because there's there's very few people that i meet that i can't relate with on some level you know they may be you know it could be pornography they're into it could be um you know um some other sort of sexual addictions maybe it's drugs maybe it's you know they feel like um like if they, you know, they're being called away from certain people, but they're not going to fit in, they're going to lose their friends. So the loneliness part of it, you know, I can, I, you know, so I think the experience that I went through for those eight years, you know, kind of, it can, God can take that and turn it into a strength when, when he's behind it. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? And so, you know, you saying about, um, you know, what you said when you read my story, that, that has been the number one thing that I've heard from most of the people that have contacted me about the book is that they see, they see themselves in that story. And and it's all mostly that picture was powerful. I thought, I mean, the, 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 the rocker eighties picture, I mean, I think that time I was early nineties and all my friends, we were still into that kind of culture was just kind of climaxing and petering out. And I could see, I think internally, that's a lot of young guys feelings where you have this, you know, you can take the world, the world at your fingertips and that raw yeah. is there. Um, but yeah, maybe yeah, you can, yeah, you have to have that. Yeah. yeah. You gotta be real grounded, you know, and I, we didn't have, I didn't have that in my family. I mean, my mom, um, you know, I, I know she believed in God. I know, you know, after, you know, just before she passed away, I mean, my mom and I used to spend a lot of time together. My mom was my best friend. I, I, I would spend hours in her room and her and I would just talk about life and things and uh you know i know she, the first thing she did she wasn't a really really religious person but she the first thing she did when she woke up in the morning was pray the our father and the last thing she did when she went to bed was pray the our father and um and i have the utmost respect for my mother because i've never seen anybody work as hard as she did and deal with the things in life that she did and w- and was able to do it with the peace that she had you know, it was just, um, it was extraordinary, you know, so, um, you know, those, those experiences, I, I thought about them, you know, the Lord allowed me to even experience a number of demon attacks that aren't written in the book, um, concerning heavy metal music. But when you're, you know, when you're, um, when you're lost, Mike, um, everything's dark and, and you don't, you don't see clearly, you know, and, and, um, you know, when, when Jesus says, I have come to give sight to the blind, it's not so much a physical healing as it, or a physical cure, as it is a spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a difference between a cure and a healing. You know, the 10 lepers that were, that were cleansed, you know, and the scriptures, they, you know, they all run off to show the priest, but there's only one that came back. And... Uh, the scriptures are very clear. He says, realizing he'd been healed. So there was something in him besides the exterior, you know, a miracle of being cured of leprosy. There was an inner healing that took place that, that drew him back to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and the funny thing is the scriptures also point out it was a Samaritan. <laughs> it was a Gentile. You know, it was kind of a sign then that the Jews weren't going to recognize the healing that was there, you know, but the, the Gentiles would. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, um, when I, I was at the lowest point of my life, you know, when, when I came back and I called the same person, you know, that I always called, uh, for advice. Um, you know, I, I call Cheryl a lot I talk to her 
Um, she's always there for me. And, um, you know, good spiritual direction. I, that's what I like. You know, I don't like beating around the bush and, oh my gosh, I might hurt Vince's feelings. I like to be told the truth. And, you know, it's just the type of, and that's the type of person I'm, I am. You know, I'll, I, uh, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I call things like I see them. Um, but I called her and I said, you know, I, I, I think somebody's tapping me on the shoulder. And, um, you know, I could tell under, under her breath, she was starting to cry because she'd been, she'd been praying for that for a long time. You know, she, she acknowledged that to me, how long she'd been praying and waiting for that phone call. And so, um, she sent me to a priest. She said, it starts in confession. And I, I went to see, uh, father Jim, which was a, an unbelievable blessing in disguise in hindsight. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think he kind of thought I was nuts, you know, when I went into his office because I knew ever since I was a kid that I had a calling, and I think a lot of a lot of how do I say part of it part of it was falling into darkness and not wanting to deal with the pain. The other part was trying to ignore God, like kind of like a Job type of thing, you know, answering God's call, listening to Jesus, doing His will in your life causes even more pain, and that I had enough of it. You know, so I think it was like a, you know, a Job moment where you are not a Job, but Jonah, <laughs> you know, you kind of run, not me, you know, and, uh, but, um, you know, the time I spent with Father Jim was really good. And, and I remember it was about maybe six months uh, to seven months after I came back into the church. I remember um, just going for a walk and, um, and it, it, you know, in the process, it felt like just layers of darkness peeling away from me you know all these things i had taken off were coming off and it was you know just going because of the sacraments you know weekly confession reading the scriptures which i absolutely immersed myself in the scriptures i, I would stay up till you know two or three o'clock in the morning reading and um wake up at eight o'clock not tired and go straight to work i mean it was just you know it was an amazing time in my life this is and, um, you any visions any visions that you're going to see later on this is before that. <laughs> Um, I started to experience those kind of early on, and, but I didn't really know what was happening to me. And I was afraid to say anything to anybody because I thought they would think I was crazy. Okay. And so I even, it took a while to even say anything to Father, um, Father Nesbitt, you know, but at the, at the prompting of, of uh, Cheryl, you know, you know, you need to tell him these things. And, um, and another friend of mine, Deacon Alan Pierre. Um, things happening kind of right when you were, just when you were kind of turning from your quote unquote bad ways and no they you know it came after it came after the confessions um after some real good confessions going to the daily mass receiving the eucharist and immersing myself in the scriptures they started somewhere around in in, in 2003 i know for a fact because i have my i have my journals you know my, i have so many journals but th those really have the dates you know i tried to date everything um but they you know the the book, The Warning, records the first vision. And um, <laughs> that, that was, uh, it's funny, because I say it was the first vision I had, but thinking back on it, really the first one I had was when I was really, really, really young at that Christmas mass. Mm -hmm. And what came, you know, what manifested itself behind the priest. And, um, and like I said, I had previously, I'd had demon attacks without even realizing what I was experiencing then either. So I, you know, I've come to realize that I was open to these things at a very young age and I just never realized what they were or, you know, either that, or I just didn't give it the time of day I wanted to ignore it. You know, I think I'm still kind of in a process of trying to figure all that out. 
Um, but uh, the it started with a locution, and I was I was in in the living room, the same place where I had the first vision. I was reading the Gospel of Matthew, and I and can you explain? Can you explain locution for some people? Because I think some people that were some people. Think of it. Can you explain that? Just elaborate on that. Yeah, a, a locution is a um, is a a voice that's heard, but on the interior. And and um, and for me, I can't speak for everyone that ever that's ever experienced a locution. I mean, some people I think describe it as you know Jesus spoke to my heart, or Jesus said to me, or you know that kind of thing. But for me, it the it's very loud as far as volume goes. You know. Um, and and I feel it within me. I feel a, just a warmth and a and a, an extreme peace. And um, uh, the the first words that were ever spoken. That was the first locution I received. He said, "Be not afraid." And it was maybe a week after that that the vision started. And so there's you know there's a number of them that are recorded in the book, the warning. But there's a number of them that are not. You know, um, I think you know just for time and that kind of thing. But sure. um, can you know, you and I think just can you go over one, just go over one of the visions? I think some I love even I know though I read them all. I think hearing you say it would be just one of them. Maybe the first one where uh, you got to see Christ and essentially well that I could even because you saw Christ a couple times. Yeah, I, yeah, I've seen the Lord a number of times. There's uh, yeah, and so, I mean some of the some of the ones that I wish were in the book aren't you know because they happened in mass and and it revolved around the Eucharist and and things of that nature and and so you know that those those i thought were were more important you know than than the ones of chastisements and things like that but you know um people, people seem to be same in all the pic and all in all your images did he have the same face no describe no the same the, yeah the same face but the yeah it was it was different i mean you know in one he was wearing a golden robe you know the one that's in the warning he had white hair I, but I knew it was him. You could tell by his face. Um, the one of the crucifixion of the passion, you know, when he fell, um, he had the same face, but it was really swollen. What do you think? That is one's the, hard to talk about because it was so real, you know. I, that it's because it's, ever since I read that, you know, that th which I think is good. I think a lot of people have the same thought I do. I replay that image in my head. When I read that, it resonated with me and that helps me now. I turn to that image of what you experienced of that not knowing what it was, I think in the story of the book, it starts getting into the pushing and the shoving, the loud commotion. It kind of made me think like I was in a mosh pit of a crowd of people all angry and mad. It really, I put myself there from reading that. But would you, is there yeah. an of Christ that you think that's a popular image that closely resembles what you saw that you can think of, like Divine Mercy Jesus or the Shroud of Turin type of, is there a, some, I hate to ask like it's such a cheesy question, but it's something that, We'd well, all... I, for, yeah, for me, it would be the image of divine mercy. Really? That's kind of what the yeah. best representation kind of. Would... Yeah. Or, I mean, if you've, if you've ever seen where they've kind of transposed the image of the shroud. Yeah. That's him. Really? Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's him. Okay. Yeah. That shroud of Turin is real. <laughs> it's a miracle in the church. Yeah. It's real. That's him. Awesome. And so, um, yeah, the, the the one about with the with the passion when he fell, that was that was well they, they were they were all they impacted me, all of them impacted me in different ways. But I think that one was so profound, not only because it was the first one that I had of him, but I never really understood the brutality 
of the of the passion mm-hmm. and um yeah i just found myself there it wasn't like i you know i was going into i i i was i was obviously praying you know but i was, I was weird the way my my spirituality was working all the time was i was contemplating on jesus all the time i was talking to god all the time you know anytime i wasn't talking to another human being i was talking to god and at the times i wasn't talking to god i was either in prayer in mass or reading my scriptures so or praying to the holy spirit you know i i think that's a that really came just from you know having the charismatic uh experiences that i had when i was young you know you don't you don't forget how to pray in the spirit once you learn it it's kind of like riding a bike it just has to come back to you you know and so in that first vision i know that in the book it says that were you sitting in your living room and it's just is it immediate like you're, you're sitting in this chair like me looking at you and it's instantly that's kind of you're just in there you're in that environment yeah it's more like a dream yeah but the, yeah the, but the thing about visions is you don't realize you're having them when you have them it, i know that sounds kind of weird but there's no um there's no uh uh, it's like time doesn't exist and you're so in, enveloped in what you're seeing, you're not aware of anything else around you. Um, and, you know, if I were sitting here talking to you and, and went into an ecstasy, um, you know, I, would, I wouldn't even realize that, that I just, you know, completely ignored you. I, I, you just don't, you don't, there's no connection between the two. You're just so enraptured in what you're seeing at the time, what the experience is. But when you're having it, it's it's as tangible as like the desk that you're sitting at. Is it that real, or is it kind of more like you wake up from a dream type of feeling? You no, no, not not for me. Um, you know, I, some some of the visions that I've had are more powerful than others. Um, but that, and but that I think has to do with the information that's being transferred. You know, um, the one I had about the passion when she, I could literally feel my body being pushed. It was as if I was transported back two thousand years and I was standing there. I mean, that's you amazing. Know, that's, that's an amazing experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, what followed, <clears throat> you know, kind of says that, but at the same time, it's embarrassing a little bit when I think about it, you know, just, I mean, imagine, well, that, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Heather walked into the room and, and I, 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 I had, it, it had just stopped and I hadn't realized I had a vision, but, um, I, I got up and I started walking towards the hallway and she was coming into the kitchen. And I was crying and I'm, I don't know if I started, I, I don't know, maybe I started crying during the vision. I don't even remember, but I remember she walked in and she said, what's wrong? And I just collapsed. I just absolutely collapsed to my knees and I, you know, wrapped my arms around her and I, you know, I just buried my head, you know, in her thighs. And I was just like, you know, I, I he loves it. All I can say was he loves us so much. He loves us so much, you know, like a baby, you know, it just, um, you know, so that, you know, the, that's the way they happen. There's no, there's no, uh, t- it's like time doesn't exist, you know, so I can't say how long the vision was or, you know, they, you know, so I've had people ask me, well, how long did they last or, you know, how long did it last? I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's, that it's one a mystery, I, could really. probably, I could spend two hours asking you about the details of that one, just to what you saw, just to put myself there to selfishly want to know what it was like, but um, yeah. You want to get into I, any of the the well? You can keep going. You can talk whatever you want. I don't. Want, well, I, I tried. I tried to put as much detail as I could in the book with that one. Yeah, it was. You know, and, and Christine was really helpful with that. You know, she really kind of prodded me, and she would ask questions that I never really thought about. You know, well, you know, do you remember like, 
um, were there people on the other side of the road that you could see? And I was like, yeah, there were, you know, and then, oh yeah, the women. And, you know, then it started to bring things. Christine was really, really helpful that way. You know, um, in, in the one where, uh, where I saw him take the scroll, she was really helpful in that too. You know, I had, I had most everything written down in my journals, but the details, you know, when I, when I think back on it, then I would really focus just like, you know, I remember this, I remember this. And so she was really helpful in, in help, helping me to draw out a lot of the detail, you know, and I think it was just maybe her experience as an author, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, because I, you know, for me, it's like a, the first, the first thing I said to father, when I had that vision, when I walked in, I said, I saw Jesus take the school and that's all I said, you know, um, and, and that I thought it was a warning, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think, um, looking back on it, like I say, I think that may have been somewhat prophetic itself. I wish I was more experienced at the things because then I could say, you know, it's, this sounds like Garabindal, but I didn't know anything about Garabindal. I didn't even know these things still happened. So you can imagine the position I was in. You know, I knew, I knew I was having the experiences, but I didn't know how, I was kind of afraid to say anything to anybody. And then even if I did, I didn't know how to say it. I didn't have the, the proper vocabulary. You know, so the, the way it kind of came to light was I, you know, I asked Father Nuss, but I said, how do you know when you know you're having a vision? And then, so he asked me about a couple of things that I saw and I told him and he, he asked me, you know, well, is it affecting your work, your sleep, you know, your relationship? And it was, you know, no, it's not. And then he's, he told me, he said, well, then I would embrace it. And that was probably the best advice um, <laughs> that I got, you know, and I got a lot of good advice from Father Nesbitt, but it was the embracing it because there was an experience that I had that wasn't recorded in the book. And it happened um, just after uh, it happened the same day that I saw uh, I, I had had a vision in the morning and then I was at work and I remember Father Nesbitt telling me to embrace it, but I could just, it was, it was odd the way it happened. Like I said, I was talking to God all the time. I was in my truck and I went to go get some supplies for a job that I was doing. I was on my way back and I was stopped at a stoplight and I was praying the whole way. Like I said in the book, that whole day, all I was praying was God give us more time because we're not ready. And, um, and I just felt that I, that probably the heaviest I've ever felt the presence of God come down on me. And I remember looking up and I saw a man walking and, and thinking to myself, he has no idea where he's going or what life is even about. You know, he was a, he, you could tell he was poor. He was probably homeless. Um, and then the more I looked around, the more the Lord began to remove, I guess I would call it a veil from my eyes. I began to see the world and life the way he sees it with everything that was around me at the time. And I remember I looked up into the sky and I said out loud, I said, this is God, this is God. And all of a sudden, right when I said that, I remembered Father Nesbitt's words and, and to embrace it. And so I said, yes, Lord. And as soon as I said those words, it was like putting my feet on a, uh, an electric wire, you know, like a, but a, a billion thousand volts of electricity. It just shot up through my legs into my chest and I fell out in the spirit right there in my truck <laughs> at a stoplight, you know, and I don't, again, I don't even know how long that lasted. All I know is I like, I like, I remember sitting up and looking at the light and it turned green and I started to drive and I'm like, you know, what, what just freaking happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? That was, 
you know, so he, he was touching me in very powerful ways, you know, but over a period of time, you, you learn to, um, uh, to continue to embrace it, I guess, you know, um, uh, you're not, you're not afraid of it anymore, you know, um, you know, in talking with Father Nesbitt, the last time I even spoke with him, I said, you know, because I, I wanted to ask him and make sure again, if it was okay, if we used his name in the book and, you know, he, he seemed to be really excited about that, you know, um, and I know he wouldn't, you know, I know Father Nesbitt well enough to know that he wouldn't have allowed me to do that if he thought this was diabolical or anything like that. Um, but uh, I explained to him, I said, you know, there's a lot more detail when I was meeting with you early on because I, I was just in a state of shock, you know, and he just looked at me and started laughing and said, you know, that's usually what happens when these things begin. <laughs> so, you know, he's a he's a, a really, really good priest, a really good man. And, um, you know, Father, I, I got... A, a real special place in my heart for Father Jim. I know, know. you. I know you've been counseled on certain things to say, and not to say. Uh, and I know again, a lot of it's in the book, but I think it's always helpful for people, to, people again to hear it again. Um, and again, I know we're limited on time, and what we can summarize because we could talk to you forever. But uh, can you summarize again what you, basically the warning, some of the visions in the warning, what uh, how that relates to Garibandal and other um, apparitions, Fatima. And uh, maybe some other thing to kind of throw in there. I'm also curious. I sent it to you. Was uh, do you think this will? And again, so maybe it's a loaded question. Maybe you can't answer. I mean, assuming every, you live into a ripe old age, do you think this will happen in your lifetime? Yes, I do. Really? Okay. Yeah, but I, I you know, that again, that may be, um, you know, part of the urgency that's been infused in me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what I can say is that we've we've lost an awareness of what sin is. And, and we don't understand the darkness of sin. And I, don't, I think another thing we don't understand is, is how concerned God is for us. You know, um, you're a father, mm -hmm. you know, and I am too. And well, just imagine, imagine walking out into the garage and seeing one of your little ones there, you know, drinking uh, bleach or gasoline um, that's like, uh, that's like the sin of omission. That's what the sin of omission looks like. That's what, that's what, uh, you know, a little white lie looks like that's and so God, it's, he, he sees us with concern, you know, cause I think <clears throat> one of the things that I really want to clarify or point out is when people talk about this warning, you know, um, people get scared of it. And it's, uh, you know, they're afraid of judgment and that kind of thing. A holy fear of God is a good thing. If there's fear of, of going to hell, then there needs to be repentance, you know. But I think the overwhelming thing for me in that experience itself was to see sin, not only my sin, I knew what my sins were, but to, you know, see them the way he sees them. But I think the, the, the biggest thing about it was seeing sin for what it is mm -hmm. and what it does. Because all it does is destroy. That's all it does. And there's nothing good about it. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's almost like um, the way I described it to Christine was like, if you, if you saw your, your little daughter or your little son, you know, two or three years old, and they're reaching out to touch a cobra. You know, I mean, can you imagine the concern you would feel? You know, and, and the sheer horror of, you know, this is going to kill my child. That's what God sees. 
Well, knowing what you know, is it hard for you to go about, well, one, just not just getting a blowhorn on the side of the street telling everybody about this, this warning about sin? Um, do, are you, is that hard to kind of hold back those things? Or how do you, I guess some people could say, play devil's advocate, like, well, I didn't, I didn't know that sin was such a big deal. I hear it out there, but the church is telling me one thing, this kind of church a nice type mentality that some people might think, well, I didn't know, was, if I knew it was this big a deal, well, I, was, I would be running to confession, where it doesn't seem like the church nowadays is telling us to get to confession. Well, I, I, that's like I say, there's a lot of people, even in authority within the church, that don't understand sin. You know, um, Jesus was very clear. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, the last chapter, I believe, um, no one who commits adultery, no, no one who is a liar, no thieves enter the kingdom of God. And we can lie by even lying to ourselves. So saying, I, I don't really have a problem or I can, I can look at this, you know, picture or I can look at that girl this way and it's not going to affect me. And, you know, um, that's adultery. I mean, that's what Jesus said. If you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery. Cause I have, people, so, I've had people uh, close to me who I've kind of, coerce them they got to come to confession and the kind of conversation comes up where i don't i don't really i'm kind of a nice guy i don't know what i have to confess and then they would go to confession they might confess one or two things which is a good step but um there's some people that i don't know if you call it blissfully ignorant they just they're not aware of they sometimes they just think only major sins are killing people stealing something but a lot of little simple sins that are can be definitely mortal the long list of mortal sins that things can become mortal uh people are ignorant to it so i guess this is that some people might think, well, God's not going to hold me accountable to something that I didn't know about or I wasn't taught. I think he will, but I think I can see some people having that mentality of how am I supposed to have this list of what the list of sins are? And Yeah, it, it, well, and that's where, you know, it kind of, how do I say, we get real complicated about it. You know, if we start yeah. thinking about it too much, I think someone that commits the sin of, um, let's say, uh, um, omission, without realizing they're committing the sin of omission will be held less accountable for that sin than someone that commits the sin of omission, knowing that knowing full well that they're doing it. But the sin itself has to be purified regardless, sure. I, you know, in order to enter heaven, it has to be purified, you know? So um, a lot of it has to do with intent. You know, if we, if you read the catechism of the Catholic church, you know, there, there has to be the intent, there has to be the knowledge, there has to be, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if, uh, which kind of makes me almost <laughs> not share the information because sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm doing more harm. If I know they're not going to go to me, I should just not say anything. Yeah. Well, it'd be like if a, you know, if a, if a young woman seduced a, a, a man and they ended up dating and they got married and, you know, they consummate the marriage and the woman was married and the man didn't know it, the man can't be held accountable for adultery because he had no idea. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. And so there's, you know, things it's, that's kind of the way to look at it, you know, but I think, um, you know, most of us as Catholics, including myself, we don't think about the sins, what we think are little sins, right. The way we should. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, gossip or slander is a mortal sin. I just look it up in the catechism of the Catholic church. And I mean, the amount of gossip <laughs> and slander that goes on all the time, you know? And so, that's what I mean. We've kind of lost an awareness of sin. You know, we've made, we've made God into this great big teddy bear and, and he is, um, you know, God is very essence is simple, is simplistic, pure, holy love. Okay. But that love demands justice. Mm -hmm. 
it has to be just. Otherwise, it's not love. You see, if God doesn't intervene into human history with chastisements or like an apparition of Our Lady of Fatima, um, if he doesn't intervene, then he's just enabling the behavior. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? So even God's chastisements, his, his, uh, his judgments are just, but they're all come from mercy. You see, it would be like, like I, if I were to go back to the, the idea of the, of the little kid in the garage drinking the gasoline, well, you would, you would immediately run to that child, take the gasoline and do everything you could to make sure he didn't poison himself, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and then chastise the kid for doing it if they survive it, <laughs> right? Um, you know, if, if that's kind of like God's chastisement. That's the way it's in, it, you know, it's he, he, um, he intervenes in order to save humanity from itself. Because if he just let us keep going, we would destroy ourselves. In some of the in the in the book, it gets into again some of the details about. Uh, I think you talk about the future having like there's nuclear war, just very bad outlook. Now, obviously, there's a, there's a good side at the very end at the end of this. Is it something where? And I don't know how much you can share what or how much you know you know about the totality of what the world would look like. Is it something where? there will be safe pockets is it something where there's going to be chaos in other parts of the world or is it something i don't I, experience this yeah kind of the only the only safe pocket i know of is the eucharistic heart the eucharist that's it yeah that's our refuge in our lady's immaculate heart you know um the, the when our lady speaks it's funny because they i hear these things about refuges and things like that i don't know anything about that you know I, all i know is that jesus said to not worry what you are to eat to not worry what you are to wear mm -hmm. um you know, whoever doesn't have a sword should buy one, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong with having to defend yourself if you have to. Um, but, you know, our, our, our lady's heart, when you enter our lady's heart, the Blessed Mother, where she leads you to is her Eucharistic son. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the Immaculate Heart of Mary becomes a refuge because of not so much of what it is, but where it leads. Mm -hmm. You see, and it leads to a to a pure love of Jesus, especially um, in the Eucharist. You know, as far as the war that I saw, um, what I gave Christine was kind of an overview. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I I think I was shown um, what's contained in the Book of Daniel, mm -hmm. and what I can say is with within that, like I say, what not everything was written down in the book because of time or length or whatever, but when I was shown those wars, a lot of them have already happened. And, and so, um, yeah, cause I, I could, I remember, cause I, I can think back and I can remember some of the soldiers were wearing like older uniforms mm -hmm. and then it like moved through history in this, in this vision. And so, you know, we're, we're living, we're living the, in the tribulation now. And we ever have, we have ever since Jesus ascended, mm -hmm. you know, that that's where the tribulation began. And that's also where the restoration began, you know? Um, but the, as far as the nuclear war, what I saw um, to the best of what I can remember was there, it wasn't a, it was a nuclear exchange and it was, and it was short. It wasn't something that was very prolonged, um, but it woke people up, you know, kind of like 9-11. But you, and, um, I think that, I think your, and your message too, it just seems like a big message of, I mean, now's the time to get the cards in order in your lives. I mean, it always is. Obviously, it doesn't matter what time we are. I mean, we're going to die any any point in time. But right, there's a sense of urgency. Well, I think in the whole book it was like that. But definitely, I think what you've been revealed, um, and I don't know, I don't know if that would be something. You say it's a big summary of what 
part of your ministry or calling was supposed to be to kind of to not to keep plugging talking about the book but was it meant to be you're kind of meant to be someone to get out there and warn people and just give them that sense you know of- i don't i don't know i don't know that my my ministry is to get out and warn people my 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 call is to love others the way god loves them and to show them the same mercy that i've been shown you know especially the people that offend you and hurt you that's you know that's what it comes down to mike I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Turn away from sin and, and show mercy. You know, that's, don't judge anybody. You know, that's what Jesus said. You know, you'll be shown the exact same mercy that you've, been, that you've shown to others. And you will be judged by the exact same measure with which you judge another. And so that's, that's the call for everybody. You know, as far as Jesus appearing to me and sending me out or something, you know, that, that hasn't happened. It's not to say that it won't. Um, you know, I, my ministry really, and, it, and it's always been that way, my, my ministry revolves around healing. And so, the, you know, for years, <laughs> it's kind of funny, for years I was here in the parish and no one knew what, what had, was going on. They didn't know anything about the visions. They didn't know anything about... Um, uh, the scriptures being open to me, um, you know, they didn't know anything about, uh, um, you know, prophetic visions of the future and things like that. But, you know, I think there's a, there's a misunderstanding with, with a prophetic spirit or prophetic gift. And, and that is that 99.9% of that gift is to proclaim the gospel. That's what it's about. It's not about seeing the future. You know, and so I get, I get people contacting me all the time about, you know, what do you think about this year or what do you think about that message? And to be honest with you, I don't even look at them. I have no interest in reading other messages or paying attention to other seers or so-called prophets or this or that or the other. I'm trying to listen to what Jesus is telling me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the scriptures, you know, I think it's in one of John's letters. He says that, that perfect love drives out fear. Mm-hmm. And so if there is fear, then, then that one is yet to be perfected in love. And so if we fear the future, if we fear chastisements, what that tells us is it should be self-revelatory that, that we've yet to be perfected in love. And this is something we strive for. We never arrive at it perfectly in this life, but we can reach extremely high levels of spirituality if we just do what Our ladies asked us to do. And what Jesus has asked us to do. Now, as far as urgency, that's nothing new. I mean, I felt an urgency as soon as the vision started happening. And these things started being revealed to me. And then I came across the message of divine mercy. And so when, when I came across that diary in the Adoration Chapel, the very first thing I did was go buy one. You know, I kept having to buy them because I kept giving them away. <laughs> in other words, my wife was getting mad at me because it was like, I mean, they were like 35 bucks a piece, you know, for these big old diaries. But um that's what exactly what Jesus said. I'm offering mankind the last hope of salvation, you know, and the time for my mercy is short. So the urgency was um, that my, my sense of urgency was uh, confirmed with the word of, of Jesus Christ himself through probably one of the most powerful messages ever given to the world through St. Faustina. Yeah. I just started getting into, I told you I had the book. And I'm just starting to get into, I'm only like quarter of the way through, but yeah, it's, it gets you thinking about a million different things. This deep book. I mean, what it makes me think of a million different things. But um, 
going on that same topic, what do you think is the best way to, uh, again, kind of evangelize and spread the gospel? I think it's pretty clear when you read the gospel, there's already a sense of urgency in a sense. Uh, it's written there clear as day to, you know, repent and turn, turn away from sin. But at the same right. time, I can only speak for myself, coming up, growing up in a very, 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 very kind of liberalized, big mega Catholic church where it was very kind of nice. There was a lot of, you know, love everybody, the same, you know, the basically the, uh, the, the golden commandment, essentially, you know, treat others how you like to be treated. But really, there's nothing about sin. So it didn't really, to me, I feel like there needs to be kind of that double-edged sword where you kind of have to obviously preach love and kind of talk about this stuff. So I guess what's that mix of <laughs> being, again, being nice, being very loving and caring for people at the same time, being there, like, hey, you know what? This is also reality, too. What do you think? About yeah, that? well, I mean, you know, the, 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 Jesus very rarely talked about sin, mm -hmm. you know, um, but he also made it very, very clear, um, the wages of sin, you know, and, and so, you know, my, probably one of my favorite preacher, you know, my favorite writer was Paul, you know, because he had, he had wisdom. He had deep understanding of the scripture. I mean, even Peter attests, you know, that in, in his letters, there are some things that are hard to understand that the ignorant and unstable distort to their own destruction. Um, but we don't, the, it's like, it's never talked about you know, from the pulpit anymore. We don't hear about sin. We don't hear about, and you know, I was giving a presentation here at OLA and uh, it was the, it was, I guess, I don't know if I call it, a, you know, a coming out or whatever. It was the first time that I talked publicly about these things. And it was in front of my own parish, which was, um, it was hard because I, <laughs> I have some really, really good friends in, in my parish. And I, I felt like I was keeping something from them. You know, but at the same time, um, I wanted everything to happen in God's time, you know, and so, and not to mention, you know, certain things that I know about the future, they're really good friends. I know their families, their wives, their children, and, um, you know, so there's concern there, but um, I forgot where I was going with it. I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Um, I forgot, what was the question? Well, just about evangelizing. Oh, talking about sin. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was one of the things that I pointed out, you know, is that, um, you know, it, and I can only speak from my own experience. I'm mean, just assuming that, that it's like that for a lot of people, but we go into confession and there's been times where I've fallen into stupid, stupid stuff and, um, you know, pray in our father and that's your penance, you know, as in, you know, I don't know if you know this, but in the early church, if you were taken into the church and baptized and confirmed, if you committed mortal sin, you couldn't, you couldn't receive the Eucharist up to five years. Yeah, I've heard that. And so there was this great respect for the Eucharist. And that's really revealed in Paul's writings too. You know, he who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Yeah. You know? And so we, I think we need to go back from, from the traditional standpoint. I think, I think bringing some of that forward again would be a good thing. Um, where, where, we're more concerned about what we're doing to Jesus and to our own souls when we receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin and cross our arms for a blessing rather than worrying about, you know, what goody two shoes over here is going to think if they see us cross our arms for a blessing, you see? Yeah. And <laughs> the other, I mean, every, we all run into it. There's been times where I've had to go up and cross my arms because I realized I, I committed the sin of omission or in, um, 
in a state of frustration, you know, I slandered somebody without really meaning to slander them. You know, I was really venting, but the venting turned into, into a slander and you cast someone else in a negative light. And so, um, would you say you something know, like you, that's pretty rare, don't you think? I mean, I think for most Catholics, most people, I mean, would rare that they <laughs> wouldn't receive communion. Most Catholics aren't thinking about fashion seems very outdated and they're surprised I even go. They're like, yeah. why are you go? Why are you doing that? You know, that's, if that's how I think far we've fallen and it's very, I don't know what the, I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to find the right way of balancing of, you know, I'm obviously praying for them, which I think it's honestly, it's slowly working, but, um, yeah. it will work. But, uh, I guess trying to find that balance of kind of like shaking people, waking them up, educating them in a way you're not overbearing, but at the same time, I guess. I think, well, the church teaches that we should go to confession at least once a year, yeah. which I don't think is a bad thing, yeah. except for the fact that we've lost an awareness of what sin is. You see what I mean? So yeah. there, I mean, it's like I say, we don't think about gossip. We don't think about slander. We don't think about casting another one, in, you know, someone else in a negative light. We don't think about if I look at a woman in lust, I've committed adultery. Yeah. And, and so these are the things that Jesus really brought to the forefront of my mind. Do you know what I mean? And so I go to confession every week. Yeah. You know, so I mean, when I first moved here, I was going to confession every time I saw a priest <laughs> and a uh, poor father, George, he, he would, he would run for me. I'd see him. I'd see him in the parking lot. He'd go, oh my gosh, get away, get away. Said, no, no, I got some. But that's the way my mind was working. You know, I was, I was constantly, I was constantly in this, in this conversation with God and the self-examination of conscience. And that's, that's really what we're all called to. You know, the more you talk to Jesus during the day, the more you absorb yourself or, or, or allow yourself to be absorbed by the Holy Spirit, by God, by Jesus, um, the better you're going to interact with your brother and sister, no matter who they are. I, you know, I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way. You know, when I'm not praying the way I should, I, I tend to not have the patience I should. Mm -hmm. You know, I tend to allow things to get to me, you know. And, um, and like I say, you know, there's, I, I, there's times where I get frustrated. I get real frustrated with some of the things I see going on in the church and the, the lack of respect. For the Eucharist, there's been times where I've wanted to stand up, you know, and literally just say, "Hey, you know what? Look, this this is this is Jesus." Shit. The you know, I go to a Latin mass only because I go to I'll go to normal like the Novus Ordo mass during the week. I went today with my son, and um, you know, but I do love the Latin mass just for the again the sake of reverence. Everyone there kind of does take it very seriously, right? Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. But yeah, I guess trying, there is that movement that is coming up that is kind of going, holding on to tradition. And maybe in some ways they can get kind of extreme. I guess I'd use that word loosely. Um, for instance, I guess I know you talked about this uh, being like a Eucharistic minister should be essentially gone. Uh, communion in the hand is you know, horrible. Never do it. Uh, like today I, I received in the hand because we can't receive in the tongue where I'm at now. I know. It's some amazing. People, there's some people and I see it a, a, a lot in that community, the traditional community that says, well, you should just don't go to mass at all. If there's not a Latin mass by, you can't receive communion. Don't go at all. You know, do a spiritual communion. And so to me, that seems, that's an example to me. I think, well, that's, I'm not going to not, not going to get the Eucharist if I can. Right. Yeah. The Eucharist is everything. That's where we get our strength. You yeah. know, that, that for me, that's, I mean, that's my favorite food because without Jesus in the Eucharist, you know, and I, we don't even have daily mass here anymore. I mean, there's a couple of parishes, I think that, you know, that may but they're doing them all at different times and this and that and the other and so um you know i i like to receive communion from the hands of a priest personally 
Um, but I've also served as a Eucharistic minister and, you know, because I was asked to. So I find myself in a, in a kind of a, um, you know, in a quandrum, you know what I mean? Do I say no? Because, you know, I, I don't think that I, to be honest with you, there's been times where I've been serving as Eucharistic minister and I, and it, it I mean, just the pro most profound experience that I'm holding the body of Jesus. Right. No differently, no differently than his mother held him when they lowered him into her arms. And it's just, it, there's just such a, um, such a profound uh, unworthiness, you know, that, I, you know, how in the world could I be standing here holding life itself, life himself, you know, and, and, and to distribute Jesus to, to people. It's just, you know, um, I think that's why, you know, it was reserved for the priests because it's just, you know, Eucharistic ministers can get careless at times. You know, it, it turns into a power play. <laughs> you know, it's like they all of a sudden they feel like they have authority or something. There was a guy that, that was, he was a lector and I was, I was going to start lecturing in a parish and, um, he had, that's the way he came off just, you know, well, you're the one up there with the authority, you know, this, that, and the other. And he also referred to Pope Benedict, um, as Benny, you know, he just, he was more of, of a liberal, but, and I was no, and I didn't hold anything against him. You know what I mean? It's just, okay, you know, that's, that's where he's at or whatever. And, um, prayed for him, but he, that guy died. <laughs> he had a heart attack like three weeks later. And, you know, it's just, you just never know when, God's coming for us, you know? And so I, from, from a liberal standpoint, I think he was just as frustrated, you know, with the traditionalist. And then, yes, the traditionalists were just as frustrated with the, the liberals, you know, because I, I mean, I've heard things come out of the mouths of traditionalists about Pope Francis that, you know, it's just, it's shocking, yeah. you know? And, and so we have to be real careful not to go too far to the right or too far to the left. You've got to stay in the middle of the boat, you know? And so if they were to bring back the Latin mass and that's all they did, where would all these kids go? Yeah. It's all they know now, Yeah, you know? So um, from that standpoint, you know, it would, it, they would leave the church, you know, it would become this boring thing to them. And so, you know, I know, I know the new mass is valid for a fact because of the things that I've experienced with the Lord there. Um, well, I think what you use in all the messages, I mean, the mystics, I think what they're, at least for me personally, and I think it would help other people when they start, and that's what I do. I, I This book and other books, I've shown people, I've talked about it. I think people aren't used to hearing the supernatural. They want to hear it. And they're not, they're kind of used to just going to church as this nice kind of, I get a good message. I want a good homily and I leave. And they have no essence of the supernatural. And they hear stories like yours and they hear them very candidly from someone like you, who kind of seems trustworthy. I believe your story that um, I think people realize, okay, this is serious business. And then they start treating mass as kind of serious business and they treat right. this serious business. Otherwise it just seems like it's no different than again, Santa Claus will just, you know, or knock on wood type of stuff, you know? Yeah, it, it is extremely serious. I mean, that was one, that's probably, um, you know, I, I guess the thing that I would point out um, that was, I mean, that was made known to me just through the experiences themselves is how serious this is. God's plan is the only thing that's going on in life. That is what life is about. And we get so caught up in our jobs, our kids, our money. We've got to get a big house. You know, the, you know, the, the yoga 
yoga pants and the bubble butt and everything it's all it and it's it's all um it none of that matters we it's just that's what was made so clear to me is how real this war is and and everybody on the face of the planet is participating in this plan whether they know it or not whether they like it or not or whether they're even aware of it or not and our job we have so much responsibility because we've been given the truth we've been graced we've been called to be children of mercy rather than children of wrath we're called to be lights in the world okay first and foremost how we live that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect that doesn't mean we're going to be a saint as i said we never arrive but jesus asked us to continue to try so we do the things that we can to the best of our ability um, and, and, the, and the graces that, we, that are given to us to try and be that light. And the, the main way to be a light is not by preaching. It's not by um, teaching RCIA. It's not by, um, you know, having visions and sharing things in books and telling the future and this and that. It's by love. Mm -hmm. It's by love and mercy. Those two things, you know, and the little sacrifices that we make along the way hold tremendous weight um in the eyes of god you know um I, I was kind of thinking about it today you know for if you if you wanted a um let's say you you wanted a uh a dodge challenger right but you couldn't afford it so you kind of put off the dodge challenger and i was at a birthday party you offered that up to god right you can do without the Dodge Challenger. If I was at a birthday party and I saw a certain piece of cake that I really, 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 really wanted, and I decided in, interiorly, you know what? I'm gonna let everybody else go first. And if I don't get that piece of cake, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that to you. I really want that piece of cake. You know, the little things hold tremendous value because it's not so much what we're giving up, it's how much we um we wanted what we're giving up if that makes sense yeah definitely you see what i mean yeah so it, it the the little things can hold a tremendous more amount of weight in the hands of god as a sacrifice than something that would seem to hold more weight through our eyes because what 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 the, the value of it is is how badly you know did you want or how big of a sacrifice was it mm -hmm. you know and, and so a lot of that stuff I'm, I'm trying to practice more definitely the fasting i did doing fa the fasting on friday but now like the bread and water fast and trying to do other mortification um elements especially you know marina restrepo you know who he is i know he's yeah like, that's i he's great he, you know you remind me a lot of him and the way you talk uh, on your channel i mean i love when i started seeing more of your channel and your, your actual videos when you go off i'm uh, just kind of really talking about stuff there's a lot of depth in there just like marino has and out of his talks which i love it's kind of a side topic, but Marino talks a lot about, you know, a lot about purgatory and mortification uh, that I think is so valuable that I think does help us with escaping the secular society. Because to me, one of the hardest things, I know I touched on a little bit with you, is that I almost have, if, for me personally, I have to just bombard myself with religious books, reading scripture now. Uh, otherwise, if I just get, if I get lost in the materialism of the world, TV, whatever, movies, something, video games, whatever, uh, I'll get lost and I'll fall. Yeah. Same thing as yeah, like, it creeps, it, it'll creep up on you. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll creep up on you. I'm a big Star Wars fan. You know, I, a couple of video games my son plays that, you know, he showed me that I really like, you know, and, and um, you do, you got to be careful because it will, it'll sneak up on you, you know, so there has to be a balance. The idea is to try and, um, how do I say, uh, slowly detach yourself from the things of this world and, feel, and, and replace those things with the things of God, you know, because that, you know, when the grace begins to come, there's nothing like it, you know, there's nothing like the feeling there's nothing in this world that can compare with with a touch of of god in your life you know that grace that love that you know and usually when we get into trouble is in the dry periods you know and um personally i think jesus is closest to us then you know when we don't feel him than when you know we're you know exuberant and you know laughing and jumping up and down and we feel that joy and that warmth and you know i think jesus is closest to us then when we're you know when we're in those deserts so um but i, I maybe that might just be for me too you know i've noticed that my dry periods have gotten longer you know as where they they used to maybe last a week or two now you know i i think you know i'm 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 up in years now two or three years since you know i've i've had uh you know, I've had a number of dreams and things like that and a couple of consolations, but nothing, you know, that I would consider major, you know, of that nature. So, um, not you know, that, that's, oh, sorry, that, yeah, not to keep it that, longer, but what are some, you know, a couple things I thought you could touch on just some practical stuff. Uh, one kind of getting into what's your technique and how you approach scripture. Uh, and also for kind of daily readings and kind of how you reflect on it, because you definitely have, I think, a deep approach to it and understanding of that. Uh, and then also just some other, just other practices you think are important for Catholics to kind of consider. I know you touched on some already, but just some practices. Yeah, well, yeah, prayer, prayer, um, I would say if you spend, and I can't take credit for this, again, this just came through good spiritual direction, and it really helped me. If you spend 10 minutes in prayer, right, um, the first part of that should should be praising and thanking God for the things that he's done in your life. And even giving you life. Mm -hmm. Then comes the, you know, uh, confession. You know, I, you know, Lord, forgive me for this. Then the petition. But if you spend, you know, ten minutes in in that type of prayer, you should spend twenty minutes at the end of it in silence, mm -hmm. and listening. You see, because a lot of times what we do is we go through all the all the talking, but then we don't listen. See, and I, so prayer I, is a conversation. A lot of, especially with this last year to adding on extra stuff with, with the rosary and one, one, you know, five mysteries, maybe 10 mysteries. And then now I'm adding like, in the chaplet, which I want you to talk about that too. Um, yeah. Another prayer is I'm doing the Holy office sometimes, you know, so you add these verbal prayers, I think definitely <laughs> enriching, but then I, I do think about that. I do my own kind of freestyle prayer too, some parts in the day, but pray, yeah, pray from, pray from the heart, you know, and, and the, the rosies, the rosary, I know I, at first I, I wasn't a real big fan of it, you know, so I didn't even know how to pray it. Right. I was just trying to remember the Hail Marys when I first started and that kind of thing. But you know what, what happens with the rosary and it, what makes it so powerful is that our lady allows you to see Jesus's life through her eyes. Mm -hmm. And then, places i don't want to say places her heart in you but takes you and places her in her heart so then you begin to actually feel what she felt you know some of the most powerful meditations that i've had in contemplations and prayer have come through watching jesus through the eyes of mary um as far as the bible goes i would say you know read scripture every single day um i would begin 
opening the Bible to the first couple of pages and reading the um, the, the dogma, uh, the constitution on, on, of uh, dogma on divine revelation, because that teaches you how to read the Bible and the different senses of reading the Bible and, you know, how the Bible works, you know what I mean? And so you get a real foundation from the wisdom of the church on how to read scripture, you know? And um, so, yeah, you can take one line and, and just meditate on that one line. You know, I, I'll give you one was, uh, Uh, it's in the gospel account when Jesus is on the mountain is overlooking Jerusalem and it says, and Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And when you put yourself there, you know, in a, in, 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 in contemplation, what you do is if you go into a contemplation and you, you imagine what time of day it was, what did it look like down, you know, going down that hill and overseeing Jerusalem, you know, could you hear voices around you with people speaking? And then to see one man out of all of them weeping and Jesus wept. And now if you, if you want to go real deep into that, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where a man has lost his wife or his son. No. Have you ever heard a man weep? No, not like that. No, that's what Jesus sounded like. Yeah. And you can get in some very, very powerful scriptural contemplations, um, with, you know, with those kinds of things, you know, um, if you just read carefully, read out loud, that's really important because faith comes through hearing. And so when you read the scriptures out loud, you actually hear your own voice. And, and so that it's a, it's a very powerful thing to read out loud too. You'll hear things that you normally didn't hear. You know, if you go back to the Exodus and the time that Moses struck the rock twice, it says very clearly, and the Lord was standing on the rock. Moses was the only one that could see him, and it was Jesus. That's why Paul says, and the rock was Christ. Mm. So it's a, you, you start to hear things you normally wouldn't, you know, wouldn't hear if you just gloss over them. So I would say read it slowly, read it out loud, and go into contemplation. You know, um, another one, I guess the last one that I'll give, the last example is... Um, in the gospel account, we see Jesus walk about a stone's throw away from the apostles and he begins to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. But you know, if, as far as you could throw a stone, how did they know what Jesus was praying? Because we have his prayers written down, you know, father, let this cup pass from me. You know, the answer comes from the letter to the Hebrews. It says, when he was in the flesh, he cried out with loud supplications. That's how they heard him. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus was face down, prostrate in the dirt. Not at a rock with his hands folded and the little hail. He was prostrate, face down in the dirt, screaming, begging God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours. That's how, that's how they knew what he was saying. It's the only way they could have known what he was saying because he walked a stone's throw away. That's how they heard him. You just got it. I think you just talked about that with suffering in your last video. Did you get into that? I know you're a little bit. Yeah. It's just kind of what the Lord's taught me about it, you know, and then, um, you know, really kind of gave me some scriptural references to it. And, um, and then really the, you know, the, the, uh, the nail on the coffin, if you will, was what he said to Faustina, the more you learn to come to love suffering, you know, the purer your love will be for me.
And that's what Jesus asked of us. It's, he asks us for a pure love. Mm-hmm. You see, it's not only when we need him or only when things are going wrong. <laughs> you know, um, Jesus has to be our best friend. I mean, by far. You know, it, it is, that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, my, I've often referred to, and it's really true, it is now, you know, and, and uh, you know, some people might kind of find it an odd, um, uh, you know, the adjectives that I use to describe my relationship with Jesus, but it's almost like a, um, it's almost like a romance mm-hmm. where he, he just woos me, you know, and, you know, um, it's hard for me to talk about without getting emotional, but, you know, I loved, I love Jesus so much it hurts, Mike. And um, there are times when I want to leave this place so bad and just go be with him. And I can't, you know, and it's, uh, it, it just, I've talked to my pastor a little bit about it. Just this yearning for him, a yearning for God, you know, and, um, and, you know, at the same time, a concern for humanity, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it is such a gift. You know, most people don't really think about it that way, you know, because we get so caught up, the, noise, the, the world's so busy and there's so much noise and there's so much to do. And I mean, I do too. Like I say, I love, I love Disneyland. I love going to Disneyland. I'm like a giant kid <laughs> in a lot of ways. I really, it doesn't take a lot to make me happy. You know what I mean? Buy me a lightsaber. I'm good to go. <laughs> you know, they're really cool. Um, but we, we have to, we have to be in a place of silence so we can hear it hear God, you know, so I was going to say, cause you got into the, that's what I was meaning when I, like, I, when I say a lot of verbal prayers or kind of pre-written prayers that are great, but at the same time, I don't, I don't take too much time as much as I think I should just sitting there listening. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. T- so sp- put it this way, as much time as you spend talking, double that time to listen at the end. So if you spend, if you spend 10 minutes talking, spend 20 minutes, just listening, that's where the real interaction begins to happen is when God speaks back, you know, um, that's, that's, and, and he will, you know, and he speaks to us all the time um, through nature. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through the scriptures. He speaks to us through the priests. Um, you know, in, in home, if we would just listen and, and persevere in prayer, you know, that's really the teaching of, you know, you keep knocking at the door, knocking at the door, knocking at the door. He is sooner, you know, sooner or later, he's going to open it. Yeah, but you have to persevere in that. You know, I think I think we become uh, frustrated that we don't, you know, hear an answer, you know, like right now, and and we need to learn that you know God knows way way more than we do, and He understands uh, what we need when we need it, and He knows exactly how to do it. But I think we give up on that plan too soon. If we would just see it out um, to the end, we would see amazing things in our lives. You know. Um, and, and like I say, just begin to see the world in a different way. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about standing on the moon and looking at the planet Earth and, and everything that's ever transpired on it. But, you know, we're a dot. We are an absolute dot in, in the cosmos. <laughs> and um, this, the, like I say, the gift of life. You know, all of a sudden the gang member isn't so big and tough and, you know, and Tifa isn't so scary. And, uh, you know, the things going on in the world right now aren't so big. 
which maybe yeah. one last thing I should bring because that remind me of, one, of something, and also kind of relates to Star Wars a little bit. Because I, what I love about Star Wars is everybody <laughs> in those stories, especially saw it in the prequels, like in Rogue One, everyone had a role to play in the grander scheme of things. No one was really, everyone was just an important piece in that cog. Right. Um, same way I think, just like in the Body of Christ, we have this same important role if we you know, take up the cross and obviously you know put our faith in Jesus. But some people feel like, well, what is this little old me? I'm, I have a simple life. Um, what kind of grand importance do I have? I think there's a great, you hear that message a lot, I think through Christianity, especially the Catholic Church. I don't think anything you would touch on that, just about our kind of divine importance that we have in the greater. Yeah, we play, we play, we play a significant role. You know, there's, there's only, there's people in this world that God can only touch through you. There are people in this world that God can only touch through you. Souls that can only be saved through using you and so that's one of the things that kind of keeps us you know for me anyway it kind of keeps me away from mortal sin because i know as soon as i fall into mortal sin god's grace can't flow and being involved in ministry how in the world can god's grace flow through me when i'm ministering to other people if i'm standing there in some kind of addictive mortal sin you know like pornography or something um we really need to understand the this you know the significance of our role um you know, one of the things that Father Jim taught me in a, well, he didn't teach it directly to me, but it was a talk he was giving. He said that, you know, when we stand before God, we're going to see that we didn't dream big enough. That we're going to think, you know, um, you know, we think now, well, God can never use me that way or God can, you know what? He can use anybody anyway. You know, he took a, what, a 14, 15 year old girl, <laughs> you know, um, pregnant without ever being with a man and gave us Jesus you know, he took Moses, who who stuttered and couldn't talk right, delivered the Israelites. You know, he took a, a shepherd boy that was six or seven years old and slew a warrior. You know, so that's one of the things I think that, you know, I would pass that on that I learned from Father Jim is to try to dream as big as you possibly can. Because there is absolutely nothing God can't do through you or anyone else. It's just a matter of faith. But I think it also doesn't be this grand thing where some people think, especially in this culture, I have to be a celebrity, I have to be, you know, famous to be important. But at the same time, I mean, even somebody, I mean, even obviously all of the, the saints of the church are very humble people that did profound things. Be little. Yeah. Be little. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the smaller, that, and that's actually that, I can't take credit for that either. Jesus taught me that through a locution. The smaller you become, the greater your love for me will be. The smaller you become, the greater I am to you and the more powerful he will, he will use you. Be Marino little. talked about yeah. that. Denna Marino, that's stuck him. He's like, everyone's trying to puff themselves up. He said, you should be the smallest person in the room. And that kind of stuck with me as well. Kind of same point as that. Yeah, yeah, we're, we got to stay home. I mean, as soon that's one of the things I would caution people is, is that that's the first thing that sneaks in is pride, you know, and I, I mean, I, I find it, um, you know, it, and it does and it's it, it literally sneaks its way in, you know, so we don't know anything. And, you know, there is, you know what, I think it was uh, Peter that said, that, you know, there is no one righteous, there is no one holy, and all of us are in desperate need of God's saving grace. And we are. You know, and so, you know, if you can keep at the forefront of your mind that, you know, or, or meditate on that from time to time that we never arrive, that and as soon as you do, you're in danger of falling mm -hmm. um, in a big way. You know, um, we have to we have to try and stay little, you know, um, stay small, rely on God. 
you know, it's like I say, the smaller we become, the bigger God becomes. And the more we, we tend to rely on him. So, um, you know, and we're all tempted with it. You know, I, I get tempted with pride. I start, you know, uh, you know, I, I see it seep in in different ways. And sometimes it even comes through people. We'll have to be careful, you know. I, you know, we're, you know, for a week, people are coming up to you going, hey, great job. Hey, good job on that talk. And, you know, pat on the back and this and that. Well, if the Spirit's speaking through you during that talk, there's no way you can possibly take credit for it. If it is the Holy Spirit literally speaking through you, you know, the danger is you start to begin to think that you were the one that gave the talk and not the Holy Spirit. So the glory always goes to God. It has to because all the glory is his. We, we don't, we aren't even deserving of mercy, you know? Um, so, you know, when, when he tells Faustina that we will ponder his mercy for all eternity, he means what he says, you know, and, and it's just bliss. It's absolute pure love. You know, that's what makes heaven heaven is that we won't need anything. Everything will be given to us and more. You know, and that's really where our focus has to be is on the kingdom of God. Because, you know, as far as the warning happening in my lifetime, I could die tomorrow in a car accident. And and that's my warning. <laughs> you know, the only problem is it's not a warning. It's, you know, I'm standing there before the just judge. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, I think it was one of the saints. I don't remember which one, but I, he something I read and I, I kind of put it into practice. He says, if you ponder your own death daily, you're less likely to fall into sin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, death is a finality. It's something that we all face. It's something that we all have to go through. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't have to make it complicated. What we need to fear is falling into sin out of fear of offending God because he loves us, not out of fear of judgment. Right. You see, because God's judgment is just, you know, purgatory is, a, is, is mercy itself. It's, it's a purifying fire so that, you know, all the souls there eventually go to heaven. So there's not, we don't need to fear God. It's a holy fear of God. I think you have to fear him before you can stand in awe, you know? So a fear of judgment, if, you know what, if my story drags a couple of people and a couple of souls out of mortal sin through fear, then so be it. I would rather drag them out of sin through that story or God drag them out of sin you know, uh, deadly sin through that story out of fear than not drag them out at all, at all, mm -hmm. you know? And so, like I say, I think there has to be a fear of God's judgment before you can stand in awe of him, you know, and, and approach him like a father. And that's really the way we're supposed to approach um, Jesus and, and, and the father and the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Trinity. So I, I've often used it as um, a kind of a, uh, an example would be, I think I was talking to you about it. It may have been you or someone else. I don't remember, but um, you know, if you imagine you're you're a little baby and you're just learning to walk, and you're walking towards, you know, your your father who's sitting in the chair, and then you have your older brother who's Jesus, and he's kind of standing there, and then there's the Blessed Mother, and as you're walking, you know, taking your first steps and learning how to walk, and you fall down, you know one of the tricks Satan can use is you fell down. You, there's no way you can get back up. He's not going to love you again. You know, he will use that against us. But you know, what happens is Jesus rushes over, helps us to our feet. Blessed mother's concerned that we didn't hurt ourselves during the fall. And just as a father in a family, you know, in a loving family stands there with his open arms, it doesn't change. 
you know that that is how we're supposed to approach the father you know and once we get there it's you know he doesn't even remember the falls mm-hmm. we made it we made it you know the the you know the he's excited you know you 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 learned how to walk mm-hmm. and and that's you know what jesus is trying to teach us how to do you know and if we learned anything from the three times that he fell it's that he got up you know but um suffering is something that we're all called to in some form or another you know that's made very clear in the scriptures and um and jesus made that very clear to faustina you know the problem is we were you know too often like me <laughs> we react the wrong way you know and, uh, <laughs> it, it take a while to embrace it you know we we try everything else and it doesn't work so we finally embrace it you know or allow it to destroy us like i did in my young life yeah well i'm finished i'm thinking about you when i read that book because i know you are a big proponent of that and uh i know i keep trying to wrap it up but there's so many questions last thing i promise and then we'll just we'll wrap it up with just again where people can find you and hear more information about you uh, the, the 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 chaplet and why is that so important and why do you promote that so much the reason i promote it so much is because i know what i experienced through praying it um it drew me to the Eucharistic Lord in a way that I could not possibly imagine. The Eucharist is not a a solid host, if you will. That I mean, it is physically, but spiritually, it's a doorway. It's the way, the truth, and the life. And through that Eucharistic host, you literally will fall into the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. and into perfect love, into heaven. And um, and uh, Jesus also told Faustina that he's offering mankind the last hope of salvation. And so, you know, I think a lot of my ministry revolves around divine mercy. You know, I was able to make some really pretty good connections between Fatima and divine mercy. And um, it is through the message of divine mercy that we will receive the promises of Fatima, the promised period of peace will come through people's conversion um, through the message of divine mercy. And through those conversions will come peace to the world. They are absolutely intertwined and overlapping. Awesome. I missed it today, but I will do it later. I mean, just missed the three o'clock hour of my time, but I will do it later on tonight. Well, it's three, it's three o'clock somewhere, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so where, so, can, where can people find you? And uh, uh, They can contact me, uh, email uh, vincent.sagala at att.net. And I got to say, you're really charitable with your time and the fact that you, again, giving your email out like that, and again, you're very accessible uh, on your YouTube channel as well, which your YouTube channel is just your name. Correct. Yeah, just Vince Segala. And I, I did that at the prompting of my pastor. I, it took me, like I say, I don't know anything about social media. So it took me almost two weeks to figure out how to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm in, you know, I don't, I don't make any money off this. And again, I don't have anything to gain from it. You know, I just, um, you know, I'm, I, I try to, I have a lot of people contact me with questions and things like that. And I try to help them and I try to, you know, hopefully guide them in the right direction. And um you know, my real strength is the scriptures and, uh, you know, my ministries aren't any different than anyone else's. We, you know, when the church was open here, we did, a um, we had a Bible study one night a week. There was a prayer group that we did one night a week. Um, I help with RCIA, uh, deliverance ministry, healing ministry, and then assisted in the official Roman rite of Catholic exorcism. Yeah, no, and you so I, I was busy. Yeah, oh, real you're doing a lot for the church, and you're, I mean, I hope you keep 
the YouTube channel up because I know I'll be an avid watcher. I've been watching. I know I watched the last one last night before I went to bed. I watch a lot of YouTube Catholic videos before I go to bed for the last like hour. My kids are asleep, so yours is like a new favorite I've been watching. So, well, I appreciate that, Mike. I yeah, I hope you know. I try. I I don't usually do them unless they're inspired. I mean, I did the first ones uh, to kind of kind of get a feel for it, and then there was a lot of interest in the warning and you know, Garabindal and Akita and Medjugorje and all that. So I tried to put all those together. And there is a streamlined message through every single one of those. You know, it's penance, prayer, uh, repentance, the rosary, and chastisement if we don't. It's just simple. <laughs> you know, it's just very, very simple. So, you know, I, I think all, all three of those are, uh, or four of those are connected, you know, from um, La Salette to um, Fatima, to Garabindal, to Akita, and then now Medjugorje. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I think the, the church has said that, um, made an official statement that the first seven apparitions in Medjugorje were, um, were authentic, um, but they won't, make, they won't make a final call on that until, until the visions and, you know, the prophecies and everything take place. So, um, you know, I stand with the church and whatever it says. I know that what I experienced there came from God until the, and until the church tells me otherwise, I'm, I am absolutely fully convinced that Our Lady is appearing there. You know, I, I've never experienced anything like Medjugorje. I think more of the world would if, if we prayed the way they do in Medjugorje. You know, um, that was probably, well, for a fact, I know it for a fact. It was the most reverent mass I ever saw in my life. When, when the Eucharist was elevated in Medjugorje, you could have heard a pin drop. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Really, really reverent. Yeah. But like I say, any little thing you can give up, you know, helps. And, and it, it holds tremendous weight and merit in the eyes of God, you know. So it's, you know, I, I, think, I think it's like kind of like Father Jim said, you know, we don't dream big enough. When we think we're not doing enough, I think when we get to heaven and see what we did, we're going to be actually really surprised. Mm -hmm. I really do. You know, I, I think that, um, especially when it's blessed by God, you know, I, I think he's, he's, uh, will be pleasantly surprised at the end. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for your time, Vince. I hope All you right. keep that YouTube channel up. I'm trying, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to do anything that God's not calling me to do. So, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. probably, we'll probably go more into scripture. I, you know, I like, maybe I'll start doing the Bible study on YouTube rather than than at the church because I can't do it in person anymore. So no. um, like I say, I'm no different than anyone else. I'm just a guy that's it, you know, and, and, you know, in need of mercy and forgiveness, that's, you know, so we just, we have to, you know, constantly pray. That's the, that's the key, you know, prayer. I don't have times and dates and things like that. You know, I, I, it, I think it's pretty clear for anybody that has eyes to see the world we're living in and where it's headed, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, the thing is we have to do is pray. We, gotta, we have to have the faith of Noah and the faith of Abraham. And, um, you know, pray that chapel to divine mercy every day and offer it in reparation for the sins committed by the United States. That's the message that I would give because that's the message I was given to give. Um, if anything, just pray that chaplet because it will lead you to the Eucharistic Jesus. And, and I would say, again, without any doubt in my mind, the Eucharist is the key to this entire thing the entire world eventually will turn with trust to the mercy of Jesus in the Eucharist. And when that happens, that will open us up to the period of peace as we've been promised at Fatima. That's awesome. Great. Well, that's a good spot to end, I think. 
All right, my brother. I'll, I'll close it. Uh, wish you the best of luck and hope you have a good rest of the week or weekend coming up. Yeah, I will. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Thank let's you. end with the prayer. Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for my Lord. We pray your protection, your spirit, in the blood of Jesus. Just immerse us. Send us your love. Show us your way. Help us to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Vince. You're a great human being, Vince. I'll keep you my prayers, man. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm just a guy, believe me, <laughs> far from great. <laughs> I'll see you. All right, brother. Thank you.